Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one of whom I said, A man is coming after me who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I did not know him, but the reason why I came baptizing with water was that he might be made known to Israel. John testified further, saying, I saw the Spirit come down like a dove from heaven and remain upon him. I did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, On whomever you see the Spirit come down and remain, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, everybody. Oh, praise the Lord. Church looks different now, doesn't it? With the Christmas decorations taken away, it's always a sad time. So thank you, Kathy, and for all your, your helpers that put up decorations and took them down. Same thing for Tola. We had a beautiful, elaborate Christmas decoration scene, and it's all gone. That's always a sad time. Well, praise the Lord. Now as we dive into what's called ordinary time. But before we dive into the amazing, amazing readings, I want to recognize a, a huge accomplishment in our parish and to congratulate Joe Isabella. He was recently sworn in as... Nevada's newest highway patrolman. So, Joe, thank you. Congratulations. You've been sworn in. Praise the Lord. That's a the thing about it. We got Joe, Nevada Highway Patrol. We have another parishioner who's Plumas County or Sarah County Sheriff Deputy. We have another parishioner who's Truckee PD. We got a couple parishioners who are on probation. So, you know what that means? We can practically go on a crime spree and not get in trouble. You know? <laughs> Imagine that. That's how it works, right? You have all these parishioners that are in law enforcement. We can go on a crime spree. Huh? Or even, even better, we can start our own loyalty mafia. You already call me father. I can add godfather in front of my name. And I can preach to you like this. I can preach to you. Uh, go to confession or you're going to go to hell. Huh? Congratulations, Joe, and all our parishioners. I'm just joking, by the way. Don't write to Bishop that I'm forming my own mafia here. Even though a lot of you have Italian background, you mafia nistas. Well, praise the Lord. Congratulations, Joe. Praise God. But as we kind of switch gears, I know it's an awkward transition, but uh, pray for a particular family. It's a local family. I don't know if some of you heard. But there was an avalanche in Alpine Meadows under Squaw Valley. An old family, uh, that they lived in Blairsden, a young man was caught in that avalanche and died. 
And so uh, his name is Cole uh, Comstock. These are uh, behind a young wife, Caitlin Comstock. Some of the, many of the families in Portola knew them. So in a particular way, let's, let's bring Cole to the altar today at Mass. Bring him, like literally, picture him, especially when I offer the Eucharist, bring Cole to the altar. And bring Caitlin, who's, I can't imagine losing a husband. But bring Caitlin to the altar as well, the whole family. That's huh? one thing we can do as Catholics, is to bring people's intentions to the holy sacrifice of the Mass. So let's pray for them, through a powerful way. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. After Mass in Loyalton, uh, last Sunday, I had coffee with a young couple, recently married. I'm really good friends with them, so I always hang out with them. I, what's cool about it, I know the husband well. I knew him when he was first discerning. In fact, he was discerning the priesthood uh, at, that, that, at that time. And as you know, when young men discern the priesthood, they always take advantage of having the holiest priest in California to talk about their vocations, right? And so, but then of course he met his future wife, he fell in love, and so to see them when they were dating, so I saw them when he was single, and then when they met, and they're dating, and they get engaged, it's a beautiful thing, and then I was privileged to do their wedding, and went to the wedding reception, the beautiful reception, seeing them grow there, and then now here they are, with their new baby. They just got a huge house now and, and sparks. And, and it was beautiful to see them grow. Right? And each time on their journey as a married couple, of course, those three words, I love you, always appears. The first time when they say I love you as an engaged couple, and then when they said I love you on their wedding nights and at their reception, Saying the words, I love you now, as they, they're beginning their new life. And it was amazing. When we were in Laurel, uh, we were at Larkspur huh, having coffee. They started talking about their home renovations. Huh? I don't know if this is the thing, but do married couples argue about home decor? Is that a thing? Do you guys do that? I don't know. Remember, I'm a celibate man. I live by myself, so I have no idea what goes on behind your doors. Huh? Is that a thing? And so they started arguing, or not really arguing, passionately discussing the back wall of their mantle. She wanted one type of decoration. I don't even know the details of it. I don't know. I don't know the terminology. She started arguing because she wanted one type of, uh, of tile on the back wall, some color. But he wanted a different color. Right? And they started civilly talking about it, and you can, I, you can see the tension rising, right? Slowly rising. And I was like, oh, should I be here? Should I? Should I be here? <coughs> awkward. And then in one pivotal moment when the tension was just rising, boiling and boiling hotter and hotter, I love this fact. He turned to her and said, sweetheart, I love you. I love you. I love that because look at it. Same three words in the midst of a heated discussion. Do you think he felt the same way when he said those words as when he first said it when they were engaged? No. Do you think that same words now were were the same or felt the same 
Right? That same meaning when they said it on their wedding night. No. Those same three words now grows, doesn't it? We tend to think, especially in modern times, that in order for something to have value and weight, it has to be fresh and new, spontaneous. I beg to differ. It is that which stands the test of time, which lingers. You know, it's amazing to think about it, but it's been nearly 20 years since 9-11. And we have many of the voice messages that the victims left for their family members as, as, the, as it was ongoing. And if you recall, on one particular flight, it was Flight 93, it was the last plane that crashed. And so by this time, all of the peop- many of the people on the plane were calling their loved ones. And they started hearing about what's happening in New York and in Washington. And so they said, oh no, are we a part of this same, this same attack? And so the men had, on that plane had come up with a plan to take over that plane and to attack the terrorists. Huh? And so one particular man, his name was Mark Bingham. And we have the last call that he left for his loved ones. He calls home and he sadly gets the answering machine. And he says on, on his, on his the message, he says, this is Mark. I just want to let you know, I love you all. I may not see you again. Notice that. You see, death tends to sharpen our attention. All the other stuff that gets in the way of life, it all goes and fades away pretty quickly when you're faced with something that serious. And so here he is, knowing that he's about to die. And the most profound thing he can say is nothing new, nothing fresh, nothing spontaneous. I love you. Same word that he's probably uttered millions of times before. He uttered that probably to his girlfriend when they were engaged. Probably uttered that same thing on his wedding night. Said the same thing when they first had their child. Same thing when they argued, right? Same three rigid, ritualistic words. But made more profound. See, something very similar happens with the Holy Mass. Oftentimes, I'm sure you heard this, that many people, especially non-Catholics, criticize us and how we worship on Sundays. Why? You hear the same critique. You guys are so rigid. You're so ritualistic. It's the same thing. And I get it. I know in my head, in fact, there's a, a woman who's trying to come back to her Catholic faith, but she attends a church in the, in the valley somewhere where her pastor is very anti-Catholic, fills her head with a lot of anti-Catholic stereotypes. I'm constantly trying to, trying to knock it out of the way and try to bring her the truth. But that's the same thing she keeps saying. Yeah, my pastor keeps saying when I tell him I want to become, go back to, to Mass, you hear the same language. Don't go back there. They're so ritualistic. So, what was the language? Formal, right? But ah, my friends, 
just like the words I love you. It is when now we penetrate the depths of those words that it finally becomes alive, doesn't it? When we finally begin to understand the depths and the beauty of the structure of the Holy Mass, that's when it becomes alive. Because I dare say to our, 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 critics, our critics that our rigidity, our ritualism, is the genius of Catholicism. Because we have the opportunity now to get deep. In the Gospel, there should have been a, a line here which you should have immediately recognized as Catholics. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold Him who takes away the sins of the world. That line, which is given to us for the first time here, John the Baptist uttered that phrase. When he finally, now notice this, he sees Jesus. He's, he's baptizing at the Jordan River. There's probably thousands of people around him. And all of a sudden, in the distance, he sees Jesus walking towards him. And he exclaims, Behold, the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. That phrase has made it into our holy mass for thousands of years now, which we utter. Notice, notice now also where that phrase is put into the mass. It's not put in the beginning, it's not put at the end, but rather it's put right before we're about to do the most holiest thing. It is right before the reception of Holy Communion. I'll say to you, I'll hold up the Eucharist, and I'll say, Ecce Agnus Dei, Ecce Quitole Peccati Mundi. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold Him who takes away the sins of the world. Es el Cordero de Dios, que quita el pecado del mundo. Behold the Lamb of God. And at every single Mass, we repeat the words of John the Baptist. Why? Let's go back in the time. Let's jump back into the first century. Now, we're part of that crowd of the thousands of people, huh? And we hear John the Baptist yell that out. As a first century Jew, we would have immediately recognized, huh, that phrase sounds familiar to me. And they would have immediately thought of two books of the Old Testament. The first book, the book of Exodus. In that famous story, we recall, we have the Jewish people enslaved in Egypt. And Moses, just to, just to, just to sum it up briefly, Moses is striving to, to free the people out of slavery under the chain and the yoke of the Egyptian pharaohs. And finally, the last plague which, which forces Pharaoh to let the Jewish people go, God sends what's called the, the angel of death over the entire land of Egypt. And God said that he will strike down the firstborn of every family in Egypt, the firstborn child. And then God tells Moses, but in order for you to be safe, tell the Jewish people to do something. Take the blood of a certain animal, sacrifice this animal, and take that blood and sprinkle it over the doorposts of all of your homes. Recall that story? 
pour the blood all over, all over the, your doorpost. So the, the, the doorposts are literally dripping in blood. And then, when the angel of death comes in the night, he'll fly over the entire land, and he'll see all of the blood on the doorposts of the Jewish people. They will be untouched. The rest, firstborn killed. Guess what animal does that? The lamb. Not a cow, not a bear, not a lion, not a giraffe. A lamb. The Jewish people are saved through the blood of the lamb. That's the first book the Jewish people would have immediately recognized. Ah, book of Exodus, I remember that. Second book now. The Jewish people would have immediately recognized the Lamb of God in Isaiah chapter 53. That's the only other place in the Old Testament that phrase comes in. And I want to read to you Isaiah 53. So what, I want, what I'm about to read to you is are words that were written 800 years before Jesus. So remember, imagine, you have no idea who Jesus is yet because he hasn't come. But with retrospect now, he's going to sound very familiar to you. So this is Isaiah 53, where we have the second part of the Lamb of God. And who does this sound like? He was pierced for our offenses. Crushed for our sins. We had all gone astray like sheep, each following his own way. But the Lord laid upon him the guilt of us all. Though he was harshly treated, he submitted and opened not his mouth. Here's the next line. Watch you remember. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, he was silent and opened not his mouth. Now with that in the background as a first century Jew, remembering that the blood of the lamb saved the Jewish people, now recognizing that 800 years before the coming of Jesus, that God would send his suffering servant into the world. And through now, through the blood of the Lamb, our sins have been wiped away. And so that is why John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus coming, he says, ah, the fulfillment of the Jewish people in Exodus, the fulfillment of Isaiah now, is here. You see, the reason why we say, behold the Lamb of God, because it is through now the sacrifice of Jesus Christ which we participate at every single Mass. Our sins are clean. Freedom, my friends. Freedom. Heaven now is open to all of us. And that is why at every single Mass, right before we do the most sacred thing, we repeat, Behold the Lamb of God. 
Same ritualistic words. Same formal phrases. But deepened. The Mass utterly beautiful. But it is only beautiful when we understand and we penetrate the mysteries. And when we enter in. The Mass will only be profound and beautiful if we pray it. And so next time, my brothers and sisters, if anyone criticizes you as Catholics, because we do the same thing every single Sunday, and they say, why is your worship so ritualistic, so formal, and so rigid? You know how you should respond? Simply say, it's because... I love you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.